just like any veterans that are here to stand up, we'd like to thank you for your service and uh, we just want to recognize you and say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Without you, who knows what kind of a dictatorship we would be under today or, well, <laughs> I won't go there, <laughs> but we do thank you. Uh, also, you know, I know there's a lot of concern. You know, people watch the news. My antenna blew off my house, so I don't get the news anymore. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, but with that being said, there's a lot going on right now in our country. And I just want to let you know that we have done everything that we can to secure your safety while you're here. From the guys in the parking lot to the security that's monitoring the building to the pastors that are here, you're God's flock. You're precious to him and you're precious to us and we will protect you at all cost. So I want you to have that comfort and I want you to have that confidence because I think anything less than that is pretty cruddy shepherding. So I just want you to have that confidence. Um, Memorial Day Parade tomorrow. Uh, the Gilead Band is uh, playing over in Mount Morris. I believe that starts at 1030. Any? Amen. All right. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Shelby. Using your Buffalo Bills voice right there. Hopefully it'll be a lot less come October, November. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be great, man. It, it, it just, let's not get bitter. But uh, we're going to get into the word. Father, we, we just thank you that we really do. We reflect on Memorial Day. We thank you for uh, the servicemen and women. And we ask God that even uh, the people that stood today, our servicemen and women, that there be uh, a special blessing over their lives. We thank you for uh, what you've done through them. And I know a lot of them have uh, paid quite a cost. And we just ask your richest blessing. We thank you, Lord, that we still get to enjoy freedoms in this country right now. I pray that we would not take it for granted. But initially, Lord, we do know this, that being your disciple is the greatest experience of freedom anybody could ever have. And it's all because of what you did on the cross, because you paid the ultimate price. You paid the highest cost. And we yield ourselves to you today, Lord. And Jesus, we pray that you'd speak into our lives. I pray, Father, as this word comes forth, that it just wouldn't come forth as your word, but it would come forth as your word with your heart. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. I ask God that, that you would just tabernacle amongst us in such a strong way that we would experience you. Lord, that this isn't just going through the motion of church, but this is encountering a risen Savior through his living word. And may we all leave here today a little bit more changed for your glory, making us like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 5, and we might finish the chapter today. I don't know, no guarantees. We'll see what God does. I love, it. I love it about this church, and I hope you feel that, that, that way about this church that you attend here at Old Paz, is that there's a, a biblical balanced um, priority put upon prophecy, okay? They were told that Jesus was coming, all right? And, and they just didn't let that go into their ear gate, but they let that go into their heart. It changed who they were. It molded them and made them such an unbelievably powerful church that really pleased God's heart. 
And I think that's what it comes down to, you and I, really living to please the one who died for us. So at the end here, now, one of the things that we need to remember is the church in the Bible is defined as a body, right? A body of believers, all right? And, and even the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians, you know, he talks about how the whole body has to be operating and functioning in its different gifts and its different callings so that the church would really be healthy. And, and you know that, that, that you, you know, when you go to the, to the doctors, you're not looking for a bad report. You're looking for a good report. And one of the things I think that if we're looking for a physically good report, it can kind of transfer over into the spiritual truths too, is, is it's very important that you have a healthy diet. I think spiritually we need to make sure that we are feasting on the Word of God, allowing that to erase philosophy, psychology, worldliness, anything that would be in contrast to the word. I think healthy people, they, they exercise. You know, they exercise, they, they, they put their body into action, you know, and I believe for us, you know, we're not just to be hearers of the word, but we're to be doers also. That this stuff wasn't just given to us so that we can impress people with our ability to, to quote scripture, but to live scripture, not just with a, quoting it with the lips, but living it out by the lives. And, and knowing that we're a body here, we need to recognize that the church is also a trauma unit. And sometimes there's certain areas of the body that get damaged, and the other areas of the body need to run to its aid to help it. Okay? Now, I've broken arms, uh, Weeks ago, I broke my toe. You know, all attention goes to that thing that is hurting. And, and we're going to get counsel today to recognize that there's people in here today that are hurting, that need help, that need to be encouraged. Paul writes this because he cares about how the church operated and that it took care of itself. That we're not looking to the world to take care of us. We're looking to one another that we take care of ourselves. So we looked last week at, at so much of the end time stuff. It's so exciting. I was praying this morning with the worship team. I'm like, Lord, we might not even be here next week. Let today matter. Let today count. Let our hearts be open to what Jesus has for us. Left off, verse 9, God's not appointed us under wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Take your pencil and circle that thing like a hundred times. You won't fear the things that lie ahead. Well, verse 11, or verse 12, I'm sorry, and Paul says this, Now we beseech you, brethren, or we beg you, to know them that labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace amongst yourself. Now, now Paul is saying something here. He's not being a dictator. He's actually begging the church. This is what he's trying to do. He's trying to move the heart of the congregation. And it's in reference to the counsel of God's flock concerning God's under shepherds to appreciate them. That's what that means. To know them literally means to appreciate them. It is more accurate rendered to know which is the, is the context is recognition of the vital function for which these leaders have been gifted. The idea is that the saints at Thessalonica needed to come to know the worth of their leaders. You come here Sunday, you watch things online, whatever it might be, and I recognize because of my position here at the church, I'm kind of the face. 
But you know what? A face without a body is called like Ichabod Crane, man. <laughs> it's like decapitation, right? There's a lot more nuts and bolts that takes place behind the scenes than just me giving you the word on Sunday. And a lot of you people, you're only here on Sunday. And we're glad you come. We're thankful. You know, we want the opportunity to build you up and we want to bless you greatly. But he says here, we beseech you, brethren, to know or appreciate them that labor among you. Okay, I'd love to tell you, as many people think, that ministry is, is just a couple hours a week. That's your job, Pastor. You only work two hours a week. I'm not bitter. I'm just saying. People can think that. But there's a lot more that goes into it. The labor that he's talking about here is diligent labor. It speaks to the point of weariness, really being worn out in the ministry. Paul did that. We do that. I went to a pastor's conference this week. I talked to a pastor that I know that's local, and, and, and one echoed the other that said, you know, the ministry is the hardest thing in the world. It's the hardest thing in the world. When I worked construction, you, you know, I, I was, you know, obviously you'd come under attack and everything, but, but when you're declaring the Word of God into the lives of hundreds of people, there's an invisible enemy that does not go easy on you. And his plans and his purposes are to destroy your leadership, to destroy the people that are serving you. Ministry done right will wear you out. You know, like I said, two, day, two hours a week, right? Yeah, okay, right, whatever. I'll tell you what, if I got a wedding, Friday night I'm at the rehearsal, Saturday morning I'm at the church preparing for the wedding, Saturday I'm doing the wedding, Saturday evening I'm... Um, moving into uh, the reception, try to get home early, and then I get up Sunday morning and try to get here by 4 or 4.30 because I am never ready. My message sometimes comes together Sunday at halftime. That was a joke. <laughs> but this is what it says. It says that, you know, that those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, if you will, turn to uh, Hebrews 13 with me real quick. Now, over you in the Lord, I mean, that sounds like, woo, man, you're like the boss. You know, leadership's like the boss. No, no, there's a beautiful balance. I think there's a beautiful balance. Look, look what Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. says this to the church. Obey them that have rule over you. Submit yourselves because they watch for your souls. The, import, the most important thing about this ministry is not the build, next building we're going to put up, if we're going to put up another building, but it's where you stand in eternity. Because we watch for your souls as they that must give an account. That strikes the fear. There is such a heavy responsibility with ministry because it's so heavily accountable. Even James says, you know, that, that those who teach the word of God like I am today, we're going to come over under a stricter judgment. We're going to be more scrutinized as we stand before the Lord. He says that they do it with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Now, now, 2 Corinthians tells, Paul is writing to the church, and he said, not that we would have dominion over your faith, but we want to be helpers of your joy. One of the things that Jesus, I think it's the only thing that says that Jesus hated was the doctrine of the, of the Nicolaitans. And the Nicolaitans were really those who were conquering the laity, conquering, ruling over harshly, being the, the, the spiritual dictators of, of, of the people who were in the church. 
And we don't see ourselves as being that way. Peter tells us we can't be lords over God's heritage. We can't do forced obedience. My vision for you, and I believe the other leadership's vision for you, is to come alongside you as you walk with Christ. Walk through deep waters with you. And hopefully come out the other side in a way that's honored Jesus. And admonish you. And look at, esteem them very highly in love. Esteem them in love. I'm going to ask Justin, Marissa, Harley, and Leah and Danelle to come up. And Josh and Amanda. Right now, they hate this. That's why I didn't tell you. The counsel of the Word of God says that you are to esteem them highly. That means overabounding in love, and that love isn't a natural love. That's a love that you give to the whole, get from the Holy Spirit and you give to them for their work's sake. This is why Old Paz Chapel's here. This is why Gilead's here. And it's a lot more than the teaching you're getting on a Sunday morning. It's the work behind the scenes. It's the counseling late at night. It's the weeping with those who weep at the funerals as we walk with you through your loved one's death. It's the rejoicing with those who rejoice as we celebrate weddings with you. They do it for the glory of God because they love him and they love you. You owe it to them to love them. Your love for them is fuel to help us keep going because I don't think there's a single person standing here that hasn't at one time thought, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm going back. Maybe I'm speaking for myself. You can ask them later. But ministry can be brutal. Your love is medicinal. Your love erases the lies that the devil tries to sow into our minds about how terrible we are, what a horrible job we're doing, and how he's going to take out the church. The counsel of God's word, congregation, is to appreciate them and to love them for their work's sake. And that'll cause you to be amongst peace with yourselves. You can sit down. (laughs) Josh has something to say. You want to say something? You know, I know in October and November, you guys do pastor appreciation. And we do appreciate that. But today's maybe a time for me to look at that text and for me to encourage you to continue to show appreciation. You know, the, the other day I was going through some stuff in my mind, you know, trying to keep that helmet of salvation. I mean, I just got a text out of nowhere. And, and it was unbelievable because it came with encouragement and love, and it was just what I needed to hear. I'm not telling you you got to pat us on the back or fluff us up or anything like that. But I would ask you to, to love your leadership, and, and I would ask you to, to pray for them, pray for us, pray for our kids. I can promise you this, the enemy does not make it easy on any one of us that was standing up here. Not a single one of us. And if the work is going to continue, we need your love. We need your prayers. And you are a loving church, by the way. But you could always step it up. (laughs) Harley told me to to say that. (laughs) Okay, verse 14. Now we exhort you. Okay, this is you. We exhort you. Okay, church. This is church ministry. This is body ministry. The body takes care of itself. I want you to know something. 
As a pastor here, sometimes something's going on, I'm the last one to find out. I get, you know, hey, how you doing? Oh, everything's wonderful. Praise the Lord. That's what I get, you know. But they might be sitting next to you. You might see the tear come down their cheek during worship, or, or they might ask you for prayer, or, or, or they might text you something. And, and, and the things that we're looking at now is where you come into action. Look, I want you to fulfill God's calling. You're part of the body here. And if you choose to come to Old Paz Chapel here and you've made this your home, that you need to recognize that you're accountable for the people that you come to church with. Because God's going to want to navigate you into one another's life. And you're going to see things in one another. And we always want to have not judgment, but the spiritual best interest in our heart at hand concerning where each other are at. Look what he says here. He, he says here, we exhort you, brethren, okay, not leadership, although it's us too, or it's encompassing, but you, brethren, believers, people who are sitting in the chairs at church, warn them that are unruly. Boy, we live in a day where things are unruly. It, it literally means those who rank, rank won't heed instruction, those who are out of step. We're very thankful they're here. We're very thankful that we're here because we're hoping that there's some form of life inside of the heart. And I beg for the presence and the anointing of God over his word as it goes forth because it's not my ability to to do it for you. It's I bring it forth and God, I hope, lights it on fire so it'll do what he sent it forth to accomplish it to do. But he's saying here that, that you need to warn them that are unruly. The, the word here is admonish. It literally means to place in the mind, trained by the word, and hence to give instruction, to warn or to give notice beforehand, especially of a danger or an evil. Look at years ago when we were at the coffee shop, you know, we, we decided we had a bunch of energy back then. And it was like, hey, let's take all these coffee shop kids down to Letchworth Park and we'll go down and swim in a river back when I think you could. Um, so, so we, we, you know, we found some trail. One of the guys knew a trail and, and we're going on this trail. And we got this, we got this Eeyore with us, you know, you, you always got the Eeyore, right? And, and, and Eeyore is like, oh, it's so hot. And it's like, go back to the truck. But, you know, we're, we're walking down there and it's a little bit of a walk. And we're all walking. It's a thin path. You know, we're all in rank. We're all in order. We're, 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 we're walking down to, you know, this windy road down so we come out to the river and, and we all made it, but, but, but Eeyore, and she's not here, so I can call her that. You ought to see what I call you when you're not here. Um, you know, she's like, oh, I'm, you know, she decided to take a shortcut. She broke rank. And, you know, she's, we're all swimming and she is sitting on the bank pouting and, uh, you know, which didn't seem like any big deal. We all got down there. We, we had a great day. You know, we got her back up the hill and went home, did our coffee shop thing and all. It was a good day, right? Until about, we saw her a couple of days later and she looked like a leper. She managed to navigate herself through probably the thickest poison ivy patch down at Letchworth Park. <laughs> it wasn't funny. Maybe a little funny. <laughs> But, but, but what I'm trying to tell you is, look, at you rank rank, and there's poison out there. And I'll guarantee you, you can get into some poison that is far worse than a rash on your skin. And the Bible says that 
to warn the unruly because you know what? There's a good chance they're here today. Jesus fired a warning to Judas, and he ignored it. He fired a warning to Jerusalem as he cried over it. They ignored it. He fired a warning to the spiritual hypocrites of the day. Almost all of them ignored it. He fired a warning to covetous people. When we were at the conference, I don't know if it was a word of knowledge or prepared, but one of the pastors up there was warning the pastors. Statistically, there's a lot of problems in the pulpit across our country. But he fired a warning to them about the person that they're texting that was not their wife and why they have, can't stand going two or three days without texting that individual. It was powerful. It was powerful. Because when you are faithful to the integrity of the Scripture, of God's Word written by the Holy Spirit, God breathed, warnings go out, and they go out for a purpose. The Bible tells us that we're to warn you if you're breaking rank. Nobody, maybe nobody knows it. God knows it. The problem is you're blind to the waters it's taken you to. You're blind to the dangers of what it's going to do to you because you're getting away with it right now. Here's my encouragement to you. That the arms of Jesus Christ embrace the repentive you got to turn from it. Could be an emotional attachment. Could be starting to dabble in pornography. Could be something funny going on at work that's not honest. I'm warning you, for your sake, turn from it and let Christ embrace you and renew you and restore you. Warn them are, that are unruly. In, in verse 14, uh, it says, comfort the feeble-minded. Now, now, the feeble-minded literally means the people that are small-souled, they're faint-hearted. These are the people that are discouraged. They're discouraged, they're fretful, they're always worried. They always need encouragement. And the people who always need encouragement, you know what you need to do? You need to go encourage them. Because those people come here. If they can't come here, where are they going to go? The drug scene, the bar, where are they going to go? They're here. And you know what it'll do sometimes? Sometimes it, 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 you feel like maybe, oh, it sucked a lot of life out of me. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. It's supposed to suck the life of the Holy Spirit out of you so it will do something in them. That's why you and I got to be being filled. It'll tire you out when you're poured out. But if you're not tired out for the things of the kingdom, you got to ask yourself some questions. You should be exhausted. You got to see me on a Monday. It's like a spiritual hangover. And I only do one service. We used to do three. I have no idea how we did that. I want you to remember this. When, when you have a heart to encourage people who are discouraged... I mean, is anybody in here immune from discouragement? I mean, don't you have the same devil lying to you about what a piece of garbage you are? And how everything you're doing is a mess and you're doing it all wrong and nothing matters? You're going to stand before the judgment seat, you're going to get spanked and all your treasures are going to burn up because you haven't done nothing. I mean, it's just me venting about myself, but that's the way, way it goes. But, but here's the thing. These people who are discouraged, right? John Mark got discouraged. When John Mark got discouraged, you know, he, 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 left, he left Barnabas and Paul. And, and he just went back, man, this is getting too thick. I'm out of here. You know, he got discouraged, couldn't handle the, the warfare and everything. And, and then, you know, Uncle Barnabas wanted to get John Mark back in the ministry. Paul said, no way, we're not taking that kid with us. And, and the missionary team 
they, they broke there on a bad note, but, but Barnabas stayed alongside uh, John Mark. And at the end of Paul's life, now remember, Paul's the one, get that kid out of here, man. He's, you know, just in a way. I'm not going to say what Paul was thinking because he's Paul. But, but at the end of Paul's life, he, you know, he said, he said, bring John Mark with you. He's profitable to the ministry. Why? Because you take a guy like Barnabas with a heart like Jesus Christ and he's willing to comfort the feeble-minded, encourage those who are discouraged. Doesn't say pastor do it, it says church do it. Throw him in your car, drive him for coffee. Send him a text. God put something on your heart, send him a text of encouragement. Support the weak. These are final exhortations of Paul to this, this church that was so healthy. But he said support the weak. It literally means cling to, hold on to those who are struggling. Cling to them. Hold on to them. Don't let them go. There's people who are struggling in here today. Don't let them go. You know, my kids struggle. You know where I want them? As close to me as possible. I want my arms around them. My kids have messed up before just like me, but I don't want any distance between them and me. They need me at that time, and I want to help them walk through whatever. Cling to them. Keep them close. Addicts. Strugglers. And then it says patient towards all men. That means long-suffering. You'll be patient with all men. Why? God's called us to be long-suffering because he's long-suffering. He's so long-suffering, he's not willing that any should perish. And think about your willingness to just exercise this little bit that's written here, how it could keep a life from going down the drain, drowning in discouragement and satanic attack. Verse 15 was probably the most quoted verse in my home when our kids were little. See that none render evil for evil. Expect that evil will come at you, but give yourself no permission for it to come from you. This is in here because by nature we're retaliators, right? No amen on that, huh? By nature, we're retaliators. That's why God had to give us a new nature. And when you think about our, our new nature, you know, expect the evil's going to come at you. Jesus has warned us about that in the scriptures. You know, people are going to do things. People are going to say things. And we're to be blessed because we're identifying with him. But we don't have any permission for it to come from us. We're the light of the world. So we choose no retaliation. We choose no payback. We choose no revenge. Boy, we might want to, but we choose not to. Romans 12, 19 says, Not to avenge ourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we trust in that because we're citizens of a different kingdom. We don't do it the way they do it. We do it the way he says to do it. And when we do things the way he says how to do it, that's what makes us light in the world. That's what makes us a city set upon a hill. That what makes illumination and radiation of the very nature of God because we're yielding to that nature in us and crucifying that old nature. If you remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And, and God was using him in such a great way that they came into the camp one day, him and Saul, and, and they sung, Saul is slain his thousands. You know, and David is tens of thousands. 
And from that moment on, Saul eyed David. All of a sudden, this hook of jealousy got inside of of Saul because of how God was using David and other people were recognizing that he should have been brokenhearted, that they were getting any of the glory, that it wasn't that God has slayed his thousands, that God has slayed his tens of thousands because the work that was going on in their lives was all him working through them anyhow. So Saul is trying to really exterminate David because he was a threat to his pride. David's in the caves of Engedi, and Saul comes in, King James, cover his feet, use the bathroom. And his men are like, God's delivered him into your hand. Take him out. How many of us would have? You got an assassin chasing you. But he said to his men, this is David, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He wasn't acting like it. But that was David's heart. They get another opportunity to sneak down into the camp. Second time, Saul sleeping in the trench, got a spear there. Abishai's telling him, hey, he's, he's delivered him in your hand, take him out. He says, the Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, Wherefore, henceforth, we know no man after the flesh, the sarks, the fallen nature. We see one another through the lens of God's word. When we remember the way that God sees us, it will transform the way that we see others. Not render an evil for evil. Choosing to exercise an attitude that blesses the heart of God. That's why the Holy Spirit saw fit to write these accounts in the Scripture. So it's like, I'm going to instruct you in the New Testament, but I'll give you a picture in the Old. You want to be a man or a woman after my own heart? That's how you handle it. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. It literally means that which is profitable or, or that which will actually benefit other people. You know, that we want to bring benefit into one another's life. We want to be, bring good to one another. Rejoice evermore. Well, rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And I think the will of God, I think most people would admit that it's all three of those commands. This is God's will. That we would be a rejoicing people, that we'd be a people of prayer, and that we would be a very thankful people. That this is the spirit that God wants to work in our lives, a choice to rejoice continually. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. I mean, remember, Paul and Silas go to prison and and we find them beaten, we find them shackled, and we find them praising. Their circumstances were bad, but their God didn't change. And because we serve an unchanging God, we can rejoice in our circumstances. Nehemiah proclaimed that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy to me is linked to my position in Jesus Christ. Psalm 51.12 says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, the rejoicing of my salvation. So as we sit here today, our sins have been paid for. I'm the property of the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heaven is my home. Is there greater news than that? So we're to rejoice evermore in situations we should always be able to find because of our position, because of his work. A reason to rejoice. Pray without ceasing. I think prayer in our Christian life is like what breathing is in our physical life. Jesus gave a teaching and the point of it was that men ought always to pray and not to faint, not to lose heart, not to quit. Our prayer life should be ongoing. 
asking, seeking, and knocking. Let me ask you something. When it comes to our prayer life, it's just as you go about your day. When's the last time we've been on our knees before the king who died for us? Oh, I don't, we don't have to be on our knees. I didn't say we had to be on our knees, but shouldn't we want to be? Shouldn't we want to be in that reverential position of submission and worship? Daniel 6 verse 10 says, He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he knew he'd be thrown in the lion's den. Now, a lot of times it's like, I'm praying three times a day because I'm going to be thrown in the lion's den. But it said he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before, as he did beforehand. That's what strengthened the man to be uncompromising so he could handle whatever was thrown at him. And I believe for the days that we're heading into as a country, it would be very wise for every one of us to strengthen our prayer life. Daniel did this as much in his times of prosperity as he did in his times of adversity. I think if we're doing prayer right, just because things go bad, our prayer life doesn't increase. It stays the same because we were praying so much before things went wrong. If I could have a personal ministry come true here at Opaz, is that this church would have a prayer meeting seven days a week that was actually attended. The devil would not want to see that happen. Matthew 21, Luke 19, 46, Mark 11, verse 17 says that my house shall be a house of entertainment. My house should be a smoke show of phenomenal musical talent and powerful speakers and orators. My house shall be called a house of prayer. When you get somebody after church and they're going through something, you're praying for them, you know what you're doing? You're turning God's house into exactly what he wanted it to be. When I look at that, and I know it's written by God himself, pray without ceasing means, look at I want to hear from you all the time. That's what God's saying. I want to hear from you all the time. Talk to me all the time. Communicate with me all the time. I know what you're going through. I'm there for you. I love you. So really, prayer, it's enjoying the presence of Jesus. It's relational cultivation through communication. That's what prayer is, okay? And prayer isn't just talking. <laughs> prayer is listening. It's relational cultivation and communication. It's kind of the way Moses Exodus 33, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. (laughs) Ever had those times just sitting with the Lord where it feels like he puts his arm around you? Oh, I needed that. You know, the eyes get wet. All of a sudden, peace comes. You can almost see that nail-pierced hand on your shoulder. I think prayer acknowledges our dependence, wisdom, strength, the grace, the love, that we don't have the ability to muster up ourselves. We've got to get it from him through asking. So many times we ask not, ask, we have not because we ask not. It's necessary in a battle to stay in touch with your commander. Paul gives us all the battle gear. Ephesians chapter 6, and he says, pray always. Pray always. In the midst of battle, always be in communication with your commander. And it's a benefit we're called to for one another, and we're required to do for one another. Samuel said, more as, as for me, be it far from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. If you will, go to Philippians chapter 4 with me for just a moment. And we're going to close out here. But I want to close out on a really good verse. They're all good verses. One of the amazing verses of the Bible. This is a conversation I've had with a lot of people lately. I grew up in the 80s. Great decade. Wow. Somewhat. 
I don't remember with my friends ever being full of worry, stress, anxiety. And I wasn't saved. We just enjoyed the day. I was a blind man, but, you know, we didn't have all these things that were taking place. Today, I cannot believe the age and the levels of anxiety that are hitting everybody on all fronts. It's like a spirit of anxiety blanket in our nation. And, and many people could put many reasons, and I would probably agree with a lot of those reasons of what has created it, what has caused it. And I understand that people go through trauma, and that's legit. But I'm talking about people that maybe they haven't gone through a lot, but they're still battling this anxiety. Stressed out, worried, overcome, hyperventilate. I've tasted it before. I'm glad I did. That way I can relate. But we're talking about praying always. Look, look what Paul says here. He says, be anxious. Anxious, okay? Careful if you got King James, but it means anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. I believe the indoor to your prayer closet may be anxiety, but in that prayer closet, when you meet with Jesus Christ, that the outdoor will be peace. And I believe that because that's what the Bible says. And I know it's going to be a continual war. And I know these things are always going to come at us. But I wonder, I want to suggest this to you. Is there any reason possibly that some of the reason that your anxiety is on the incline because you've allowed your prayer life to come on a decline? Let me ask you this. You're sitting in a doctor's office, right? And, you know, they, they, it takes them 20 minutes to get to you. I want you to think back 15 years. What did you used to do? That hour ride into work, sitting there in your car before, because you're early like me, what did you used to do? What do you do now? Because I'll tell you where I get convicted. I used to pray for the people in, in the waiting room that are sitting there with me. But now it's Miami Dolphin Bleacher Report. Email. And, and maybe some things have shifted in the days that we're living at. And maybe we're stressed out and we're worried and uptight and we're anxious. Because slowly we've allowed our encountering of Jesus throughout our day, praying without ceasing, we've allowed things to, to step into the way, to run interference, to impede the path where we used to find peace. Because my Bible says, Jeff, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, you let your request be made known unto me. Do it in my peace that passes understanding. It's going to keep your heart. It's going to actually guard your heart. That's a military word. It's going to set up a guard around your heart. It's going to keep, it's going to guard your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. Boy, our minds and our hearts need to be guarded these days. This is Paul's counsel to the church at Thessalonica. And it really is addressing the congregation. And by no means was I trying to pat us on the back. I mean, I think our leadership team does a great job here. And we're hoping for just better in the future. But it's really, it's the congregation's heart towards the leadership. It's the congregation's ministry towards one another. And it's all of our heart in our, our, our connection with God, rejoicing, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks. We'll pick up on the rest of it because there's some uh, very important things that I'm glad I didn't really get a chance to get to. I never know how far we're going to get, but the clock always tells me. 
And we'll look the rest of it next week. Father, we bless you. We thank you, Lord, that, that your counsel is immutable. It doesn't change. It's the same for the church of yesterday as it is for the church of today and tomorrow. Because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I ask your, your blessing over us as a ministry. And that we, Lord, above all things, that we would value you and that we'd value one another. And that somehow, Father, that you'd bring interaction amongst the saints today where the people who are discouraged will be encouraged, where the people who are weak will be clung onto, and that we would refuse in our hearts to have a life that would stoop down to the natural, carnal level of issuing out evil from us, the evil that's coming at us, Lord that we wouldn't do that, but we'd follow that which is good, that we would bring benefit. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you just, as we sing this last song, that you'd truly just move in our midst and and that, Father, you'd even renew the lenses of our heart. When we look across this room and we see the men and the women, that there would just be a renewed value over each one of us that are here that we see one another with a value that you have for one another. And that we'd be so sensitive. Holy Spirit, make us sensitive to the ones that need to be warned today, encouraged today, or clung to today. We bless you and we thank you that we get to really look at your word and allow it to instruct our lives so that the purpose of why we're even created would come to fruition Oh, we bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Workplace. Or no, not tomorrow. Tuesday. Enjoy your day off tomorrow, but remember why we celebrate that day. Uh, You know, may people see the Christ difference. Because there should be a huge difference. We do life different. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. We're blood-bought people. we got a lot to be thankful for. Look, you're here today. Most important decision you ever make in your life is what you do with Jesus Jesus Christ because it determines where you spend your eternity. Heaven and hell are real. Hell is more populated than heaven. Don't let your pride hold you back from coming up and praying with us to receive Christ. He died for you. He loves you. And he wants to forgive you and give you heaven. Nothing like having that confidence. And it's all based upon him. It is finished. Paid in full. God bless you. Have a great day.